Good morning. We're going to start a, a new uh, series this week about the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, and what is what is what are the Ten Commandments for today? Is it relevant for today? We're going to be talking about that for the next X amount of weeks. But before we do that, I wanted to pray. You know, I wanted to make sure we take time every week uh, to pray because prayer is such a such a high value. I didn't call. I didn't ask him before this, but I'm going to call Bob Mori Cooney to come up real fast. That's it, right here, Bob. It's, no, no, you have to sit down. Just, Bob Morkunis, he's coming up. Bob is the athletic director at McKinley High School. And uh, Bob is so appreciative of all that you folks did yesterday in the parking lot. Right, Bob? Yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> I brought Bob up here because on Tuesday, uh, we have a very, very important meeting. Uh, it's a meeting that is important to the football program, but... It's really a meeting that's really important for the athletics as well as the school. And I just wanted to pray uh, for this meeting. Um, principal will be there. Bob will be there. Um, just some parents will be there. Uh, coaches will be there. Spiritual advisors will be there. Um, all this stuff, right? So once you, uh, but it's really important. Bob, it's really important, yeah? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you uh, looking forward to this meeting? No, of course not. Yeah, me too. So anyway, let's just pray, okay, because prayer is the battle. And, you know, we're going to come back on Sunday, and we're going to say, look what God did. I, I really believe we're going to say, look what God did. Um, but let's just pray. Father, we just want to thank you uh, for Bob and that you raised him up uh, to be in the position that he is. But I pray that you would continue to uh, give him the authority, the wisdom, uh, just the understanding that's necessary to, um, to navigate through this really challenging time, Lord, an important time in, in McKinley High School and, and their whole, um, you know, just the, the, the future of their school, Lord. And so we just pray, God, for this meeting that's coming up on Tuesday. We pray that you would be there in a powerful way that there would be um, understanding, that there would be humility, that, that you would guide through that meeting, and that when that meeting is over, everybody would walk out and feel like, man, God, thank you for what you did. So just bless, bless Bob. Um, bless Mr. Okamura, the principal of the school, and that it would be a great meeting on Tuesday. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yep. Now pray, pray for Bob. Uh, 7 o'clock, I believe, the meeting, right? 7 o'clock, Hirata Hall. You guys all invited, just come on over and uh, we'll just, you know, just, just do that. The other thing I wanted to pray for is I wanted to pray for our nation, you know, especially on a day like today where we're remembering um, something that was so significant, so tragic in the history of our nation, uh, something that, you know, none of us will ever forget. Uh, I want to take time just to pray for our nation and uh, the future of our nation. Our nation. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking back on 9-11 um, <clears throat> was, I remember when that happened, it was just so unbelievable. And that people were crying out to the Lord. But then soon after that, you know, people stopped, and all you began to hear was the, the strength of the American spirit. Well, there's a spirit that's a whole lot greater than the American spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. 
And that's who we need. Yeah? If my people who are called by my name would humble ourselves, would pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, then God will heal our land. And that's what we need. And so um, why don't you stand with me and let's just pray uh, for our nation. Um, we have John Bauer here, and John Bauer is, uh, I don't know his official title, but he's a chief with the um, fire department. And, you know, on a day like today, let's remember to thank all the first responders, you know, whether it be police and fire department and all that. And I'm sure um, John would appreciate our prayers, and uh, we can thank um, all of them as well. So why don't we just quietly, um, just, just, just go before the Lord. And let's just pray that God would heal our land, that God would heal our nation. Yeah, just pray for that. Just quietly pray for that. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> let's, let's, um, let's thank the Lord for all the first responders here on Oahu, in our state, but in our country. And let's just thank the Lord for just the, this that we want to remember the sacrifices that were made on 9-11, on that <clears throat> tragic day, all the first responders and all the people who gave their lives for their country. Let's pray. Father, we just pray. God. Just thank you, Lord. We just pray. Lord, we pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, Father, on a day like today, we, we, yeah, let's not forget. Let's remember. But let's not be filled with bitterness and hate. But, but let's be reminded of how much we need you as a nation. That unless you build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Unless you guard the city, you know, we can guard and watch 24-7 and it still won't be enough but unless the Lord. And so, Father, we just ask you, we just ask you to come heal our land, guard over us, lead us, lead us. <clears throat> and as a church, Father, I pray that you would burn your call in all of our hearts that we're not here just for ourselves. We're not here for ourselves. That we're here to see our city, our state, our country, and the world transformed with your love. That's why we're here. That's why we're alive. That's why this church exists. We don't exist for us. We exist to continue the mission that you sent Jesus to start. And so we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> People have all kinds of ideas about, you know, who God is, you know, what God does. You know, some people say, you know, oh, yeah, God, God's this really mean, kind of cosmic killjoy, just looking for, for us, watching over us when we do bad things, and, you know, he punishes us and those things. Some say God is like, like, um, like a grandpa, you know, 
just anything goes and, hey, here, you know, spoil, you know, the, the grandkids and all those kind of things. Um, and it's interesting that throughout the world, you know, whether it be inside the church, outside the church, you know, whether it be in all these different religions, um, there's, there's this common belief that people have. The common belief that, that in, order, in order to find acceptance with God, you somehow need to behave and perform your way into God's good graces. You know, that, that you just ask anybody, just non anybody, and just, you know, God, what about the God thing? Yeah, yeah, you know, there's these rules, there's these laws, there's these commandments, and, you know, you got to do your best, you got to try to behave, God's watching you, you got to really behave, you got to follow these rules, and if you do the best you can, hopefully, 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 you'll make it to heaven, you know? And, and it really comes down to this belief that there's this good, transcendent, divine God, this being, this God. And then there's like people, and people are really not so good, you know, they're, they're not all that good, and, and they're inferior, and they, they, we all need to work, we got to work hard to become better people. That's the whole goal, is we're, we're not good people, we got to become better people, and, and, and hopefully that'll help, be, help us to be accepted by this holy, transcendent being called God, you know? Um, it's like God sets up the rules, God has these commandments, God has these do's and don'ts, and that we all need to know what, what it is, you know, what we need to do, what we don't, what we're not supposed to do, and if we follow those rules the best we can, the better our chances are uh, to be accepted by this holy and transcendent God, you know? Man, if I follow the rules, and if I follow the rules, maybe, 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 maybe God will accept me. If I behave and, you know, be the best, nicest person, maybe give to charity a little bit and all this, that hopefully that's good enough. Hopefully it's good enough at the end of my life. Hopefully it's good enough for me to be accepted into heaven. And that's a really, really common belief, you know even by some who call themselves Christians. I mean, it's a real common belief. But unfortunately, this belief has done more to alienate people from God than almost anything else. You know, this belief that there's God and there's these rules and, and, and we got to follow these rules and we got to obey, we got to you know, perform and we got to behave and hopefully we do good enough that God will accept us. You know, that belief has done more damage than most anything else because you know, the thought that you got to work really, really, really hard to be good enough to meet the standards of God, you know, that, that, that you got to do all these things, otherwise, you don't want to think about the otherwise. And what happens, it kind of brings about a lot of guilt, you know, and, and guilt is one of those things that is a really short-term motivator, right? And you know how it is when you feel guilty. It's like, man, I just you go on the scale. It's like, holy cow. And you think, man, I'm not going to eat no more of those Cocoa Puffs, man. They just mess me up. And then, you know, that lasts for how long? You know, maybe a week, two weeks, maybe three weeks until you see the next box. You know, right? That's kind of, and guilt is a short-term motivator. And, and the thing is, nobody likes to be guilted, right, into anything. 
I mean, nobody likes that, much less be guilted by this invisible God who watches from heaven to see who will and will not make the cut, right? And the one thing is certain, though, that this belief, this thought, this idea, it doesn't come from the God of the Bible. That something really unique and different from all the religions of the world is God's message, that God's message is good news to all mankind, that you don't perform your way into a relationship with him, that you don't perform your way into a relationship, or you don't find, you will never find acceptance through your behavior, that you're never going to find acceptance from God through your behavior, trying to make sure that you're following all his rules, all the rules you think God wants, because the truth is nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's going to be able to follow all the rules, and all you're going to experience, all you experience is a lot of guilt, You feel a lot of guilt, like, man, I messed up. And God's message is that his rules and his commandments and his laws and all those things are not conditions for a relationship with him. They're not conditions for a relationship with God. They're a confirmation of his relationship with us. You know, that's his message. That's the amazing thing that his rules and his commandments are not conditions of his love. They're confirmation of God's love. And And that it became really, really clear when God gave the Ten Commandments, you know. And today what we're going to do as we start up this series, we're just going to take a really quick overview, maybe give you a little bit different perspective, you know, for the rest of the series. But but it's really clear that that God's message is that these commandments and all his rules are not conditions. They're not conditions for us to, to, to somehow perform so we can establish a relationship with God. And that these commandments are really a confirmation of a relationship with God and his love for us. And if you put it in the proper perspective, these Ten Commandments become really just invaluable directives to live to live our lives by. And you're going to begin to see that they're absolutely relevant for our lives today. And what we're going to do then is we're going to look at where this all started. You know, um, From early on, God wanted to make it real clear that you just don't perform or you don't behave your way into gaining acceptance with him. Remember Abraham, Abraham had a son Isaac, right? Isaac had his son Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. There was Joseph, right? And the brothers, like, you know, Joseph, you know, jealous. And then they sold him off into slavery. He goes to, he goes to Egypt. God raises Joseph up, right? Famine comes on the land. Joseph is second in command. And, you know, he saves his family. He saves the nation, but he saves his family. He tells his father and his brothers, He'll come to Egypt and they find out who he is. Whoa. And he bring them over uh, to Egypt. And, and they've been living in Egypt as his family uh, for a number of years. In fact, you know, the whole history. And then what happens is this family becomes a nation. They get more and more people, right? And it goes back to Abraham and the covenant that God made with him. Says, man, you're going to have all your descendants going to be like, you see all the, the stars in the sky, the sand. You're, you're going like, to have like a bazillion descendants. 
And so this family began to grow, and it became from this large family, it grew to a nation. And after Joseph had died, and after the Pharaoh who was in charge had died, that Egypt kind of forgot Joseph and, and decided, you know what, there's so many of them, we're just going to make them slaves. Like, I mean, why, why do we have so many of them here? You know, they look like good workers. We're going to make them all slaves. And so they become slave, slaves. And so this, this, this group of people, this large family, which is now a nation, the entire history of this nation was all about slavery. They didn't have a history before slavery. All they had was this slave mentality. Um, they really had no laws because what kind of laws and, and stuff do you need as a nation, if you're just a whole bunch of slaves, right? Slaves don't really need any laws. No government, no king, no rulers. And, and through this time, God seemed pretty quiet. You know, God seemed pretty quiet, and they remained in slavery and in oppression in Egypt for, for 400 years. Now, how long is 400 years? That's longer than we've been a nation. And, and here they are. They are oppressed. And then last week, we looked at how God uh, rescued them, right? God rescued them and delivered the nation under the leadership of Moses, Red Sea, off they go. And now God is going to give Moses the Ten Commandments, right? They're, they're in the waters. They're not in the promised land yet. yet. They're in this place called Mount Sinai, and, and they stop here, and, and God's going to give them the Ten Commandments. And it's here at this amazing event that we see the secret to the relationship between God's love and God's law. That's where it all started. That the relationship between a relationship with God and his rules. And so let the Holy Spirit speak to you because if you really take this to heart, and you really allow God to speak to you, and you see the relationship, you know, you see this relationship between God's love and God's law, it could just change your whole view, your whole view of God, his commandments, his rules, and it really changed your life. And so we're going to look, you know, the Ten Commandments. Anybody know where the Ten Commandments are? Yeah, right. Good job, Pat. Exodus chapter 20. It's in Exodus chapter 20. So that's where we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start there. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. Can, we're going to be camping out in there for the next few weeks. But let's look at Exodus, 20, Exodus chapter 20. You've got notes in your bulletin. You can follow along. First thing is this. I am the Lord your God. Okay. Exodus 20 verse 1. Then the Lord gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. People are gathered. Moses is there as their leader. And right there on the mountain, God's giving them his instructions. For the first time as a nation, they're free, right? And so they're going to need some rules to live by. And so they're all in anticipation, getting the rules today. Know what's on God's heart. And the first thing he says, I am the Lord, your God. That's what he says. That's how he starts the whole thing. I am the Lord, your God. To which we go, yeah, okay, great. But you think about it. He didn't say, I am the Lord, the God of everything. No, he says, I am the Lord, your God. 
He's saying, I'm going to give you these rules. I'm going to give you these commandments. But I want to make something really clear. Before I even give the rules, I want to make something really clear. I am the Lord. I am God Almighty. I am the God of this universe. I am the most powerful God. And I am your God. I mean, how great is that? I mean, just think about that. That God is saying, I'm your God. And then he goes on, he's saying, it's personal. Because if, if God is saying, I am your God, what does it make the people he's saying this to? Then they're his. There's this relationship. I'm your God, you are my people. It's personal. Then he goes on and says, I'm the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And he reminds them how he personally rescued them. Pharaoh didn't want to let them go, remember? He didn't want his slave labor force to go. So, so God showed his supremacy over mighty Egypt, over mighty Pharaoh, and he took the Egyptian gods and he just made a mockery of, of them through the plagues upon Egypt. You know, we talked about the plagues last week a little. <clears throat> and it's like God was saying, all right, plague number one, all right. You worship the Nile River? All right, this is what I think of your Nile River. Boom, turn into blood, all right? He's saying, you worship a goddess who always is shown with the head and body of a frog? Nice looking woman, I, I don't know. But this goddess, of, you know, looked like a frog? says, I tell you what, now you got a whole bunch of goddesses you can, you can worship. So he's just making a mockery of all this. He says, you know, you worship your God of the grain. You know, they had a God who would protect their grain and their crops and all that. He sends locusts to eat them all out. He says, where's your God? Where's your God? What happened? What happened? Where's your God, right? I mean, he's like, kind of like in a real divine, godly way, he's kind of trash-talking these guys, kind of like that, like that. He says, you worship Ra. You worship Ra, you know, uh, your God of the sun. God blotted out the sun. Where's, where's God? Come on, where's Ra? Oh, I don't see Ra. Don't see nothing because it's all dark now, right? And he's making a mockery of the Egyptian gods. And what he was doing was God was affirming his relationship with his people, that he was reminding them of their miraculous exodus from Egypt and that he was their God. And that plague after plague after plague, He's saying, I'm your God. You know, but, but still, Pharaoh refused to let him go. And then in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1, we look back there. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. And after that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. And God was going to do one more thing. And then in that, he gave the Israelites this instruction. And this is like really, this is an amazing thing that he did. You know, as we look at it, we got to look at this. Exodus chapter 12, all right? The last plague. Says, After this, Pharaoh's going to let you go. Mocked his gods. Now Pharaoh is going to be personally affected in a real tough way. And then he's going to let you all go. It says, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, right, they're still there, the Lord gave them instructions to Moses and Aaron. He said, from now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you, right? He changed their calendar. 
announced to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. If the family's too small, you don't want to let them share with another family. Divide the, the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. And the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either sheep or goat, no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then all the people gathered together and that they must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. And for us, that's kind of gross. But for them, that's something they were used to, but they would make, they would offer sacrifices uh, to God in response, um, you know, in response to, as far as to worship God. You know, just, that's part, part of how they worship God. You know, so they did that. And for us, it was like, Ugh. But for them, it's like, nah, no big deal. That's no big deal. Okay, great. But then in verse 7, um, God gives them instructions. It's a little different this time. It's a little odd, in fact. And he says, all right, after you slaughter the animals, verse 7, they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they, where they eat the animal. Now, that was strange even for them, all right? And especially for the, the real, you know, obsessive, compulsive, clean types, that'd be kind of tough to, now we've got to put blood on our door, right? right? That's kind of strange, right? Why do you put blood on your door? And then he says, on that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt, strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign. Marking the houses where you are staying, and when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. That from that time on, they celebrate. The Jews celebrate, you know, a festival called Passover, because that's exactly what he did. God passed over them. You know, it was tragedy in all of Egypt, but every time he saw the blood, he passed over. And now, a few months later, after Pharaoh let him go, right? His son died. Uh, it was just a mess. And Pharaoh said, you guys got to go. And then, you know, remember, he changed his mind. Red Sea psh, came out. But now, a few months later on Mount Sinai, as God gives the people the rules, his commandments to live by, he starts and he says, I am the Lord your God. Remember. Remember who rescued you. You got to remember. Remember all that I did. All that I did. All that I did for you because I loved you. Because I was your savior. I was your rescuer. I was your deliverer. And I did all that for you because I love you. Because I am your God. And then the second thing that we look on in that is that your relationship with God is not established by keeping rules. Your relationship with God is not established by keeping rules. Right there on that mountain, God was making it really, really clear that he wasn't there to establish a relationship with them. He already had a relationship that he proved it, he showed it to them. You know, over and over, he said, you know, I am your God. Look what I did. I have this relationship. I am your God. You're my people. And that was before they even got any of the rules. The only thing that he asked them to was way back in Exodus 12, he says, I need you guys to trust me. That was it. I need you to do something strange, even if you don't believe, you know, it just seems so weird. You need to trust me. 
And they were there on that mountain to receive God's rules to live by. And in the giving of the Ten Commandments, there may be the greatest message you will ever hear, that your relationship with God is not established by you just keeping all the rules. God established a relationship with the people of Israel before they even knew what the rules were. You know, before they even knew what the rules were. He tells them, I am your God. I rescued you. I delivered you. And he did all that because he established this relationship with them. And God demonstrated to the world that he had chosen a people not because they have, of what they've done or how they performed or how they behave, but it was because he loved them and because they had trusted him. And, 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 and now they were being delivered and rescued. And after all that, after God had established this relationship with them, now he says, I'm going to give you the rules to live by. You see, the rules weren't there to establish a relationship with God. That's the message of the Old Testament. That's the message of the New Testament. That's the message of the Bible. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love, why? Because God first loved us. I mean, think about that. That right there at the beginning of the Bible, second book of the Bible, God is saying like, hey, you know what? Your relationship with God is not established by keeping the rules. It's not. And then right at the very end of the Bible, right? At almost at the very, very end, he reminds us again, we love because God first loved us. That we here, we love because God established a relationship with us. And so the third thing is this. Rules without a relationship results in rebellion. Right? Rules without a relationship Results in rebellion. Here's an observation. When there's rules, but there's no relationship behind them, the result is just rebellion. You know, you see that at home, work, sports, everywhere else. In fact, that's kind of how we got started as a nation, right? Taxation without representation. We got the rule, no real relationship behind it. So what we, did, what we decided to do, oh, we'll just start our own nation then. You know, we'll start our own nation. You know, human nature is, is, is that if you impose a rule on me and we don't even know each other, then chances are I'm just going to resist. You know? And God understands that. He knows mankind. He's not foolish enough to say, here's a bunch of rules. Do your best you can to follow them. And if you do okay, I'll decide if I accept you or not. Yeah. Here you go. Here's the rules. Go ahead. And not sitting back watching. Oh, you know, oh, man, Max Fowler, I don't know, what do you think? That's borderline, yeah? You know, right? You know, Mark, oh, he's it, dogs. <laughs> right, I mean, you know? And, and if that was the case, what would our response be? And then you think about it, that is why so many have resisted the church and God and Jesus and anything to do with Christianity because they believe it's all about a bunch of rules. Do's, don'ts, you got to do your best. And hopefully, 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 
you end up good enough to be accepted by God. And if there is a heaven, hopefully you'll make the cut and you get to heaven. You know? Nothing about a relationship. Nothing about knowing and experiencing the amazing love of our Father in heaven. But that's what so many people think. They think God is like Santa Claus, you know? That if we're good, we get rewarded. You know, wake up, oh, full sock, stock, stocking. Is that stocking? Yeah, that's what that thing is, right? Not a sock. Sock would be too small, right? And you get the stuff, right? You're good. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so doggone it, you better be good, or whatever that song says, something like that, right? You got to do all that. And a lot of people think that's the way, that's the way God is. That, 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 you know, he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows when you've been bad or good, so you better be good, otherwise you're not going to get to heaven, right? And so many people think that. Nothing about a relationship. But the truth is, that's not who God is, and that's not what he's done. See? So the fourth thing is this. God's commandments are not conditions to enter into a relationship with him. But they are confirmation of the relationship we already have with him. And he proved that over and over and over again with the Israelites. He was their God. They were his people. That he tells them that he was their God and he does all these things before he even gives them the commandments. He does all that before he gives them the commandments. He wasn't saying that this is how you get in. You know, he's not saying, okay, guys, here's the rules. This is how you get in. No, no. What he's saying is that now that you're in, now that you're in, here are the rules to live by. You know, here are things that are that are are going to help you because you're already in. You're already in. And the commandments are not a condition of his love, but but are really a confirmation of his love. The Israelites knew how much God loved them. He just delivered them. He just delivered them out of Egypt. And now on the way to the promised land, he says, hey, guys, now that you're a nation, now that you're free, now that you know how much I love you, I want, to give you some, I want to give you some commandments that's going to help you live and experience life how I really designed you to live and experience. And relationships always precedes rules with God. See, the first instruction that he gave the people at Passover was simply, will you guys trust me? Will you guys trust me? And now you, if you fast forward maybe about 1,400 years, Jesus is with his disciples, right? We know what's going to happen a few days later. He's going to be arrested, crucified, right? But he's with his disciples, and they're celebrating Passover, right? The very thing that God said to Moses and the people, I want you to keep doing this. Yeah. I want you to keep doing this. And so Jesus is there, and he's celebrating Passover, but it's going to be different because God was about to do something new. And Jesus took some bread and a cup of wine, and he tells them from this, from this time forward, from this point on, the wine represents his blood, that his blood to be shed, not just for a nation, 
but for the world. You know? And he says, hey, this bread, it no longer just represents what the people ate just before they left on that exodus out of Egypt. It wasn't just for that nation anymore. That bread is my body, broken for the world, is what he's saying. And that, then Jesus gives them the instructions to his disciples and for all of us, his disciples. And he says, when I leave, I want you to go out into the world. And I want you to share this good news with the entire world. Because I came for the world. And it's not just about a nation anymore. It's not just about a people. It's about the world. And that's what makes God so different. And what makes being his disciple so different and powerful. That that our God invites us into an unconditional, eternal relationship of love and grace not based on anything that we do, but on something that I was already done. I mean, just think about that. That we get to have a relationship with God, not based on anything we can do, but it's based on something that God already did for us. People of Israel, I'm going to give you the rules, but I am your God, and remember how I saved you. Right? And based on what I did for you, showing you how much I loved you, we have this relationship. Now I'm going to give you the rules. People today, remember, it's not what we can do to try to get in. This is not about that. God's message is, no, it's about what's already done for us, what's done for us. Jesus died on the cross for us. God already did it so we can have a relationship with him. And if you're not a Christian, you will rarely ever meet a Christian who made a major lifestyle change because of guilt. This won't. But, but you will meet a whole bunch of Christians who are going to tell you their story. And it wasn't about guilt, but it was about their personal exodus, you know, that they had this habit, difficult marriage maybe, financially upside down, life going nowhere, no hope in their lives, life was a mess, and how they cried out to God. And even after they had broken all the rules, they had violated all the principles, they just messed up, they did everything wrong. They cried out to God and God saved them anyway. That's what you'll hear. That they will tell you how their lives changed, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude, that God didn't make the rules a condition of establishing this relationship with him. But the rules are simply a confirmation of the relationship that he established with us when he brought them out of Egypt. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I love his commandments. The more those Ten Commandments mean so much. Not because through these rules I get to go to heaven. Because, because these commandments just keep me close to God. You know, they keep me close to God. They kind of guide me into the, a life worth living. It help, they help me to avoid mistakes that I know I would make on my own. You know? 
that I know the rules are for my benefit, given by God who has proved his love for me and who wants the very, very best for me. And so let God speak to you that if you've always wanted a relationship with him but looked at your life and thought, you know, God would never accept me. After all that I've done, even stuff that I'm doing right now, he would never accept me. Let God speak to you that the good news is God accepted an entire nation of slaves who had nothing, who had done nothing right. They didn't even know what was wrong or right. They didn't even know the rules. But God saved them anyway, delivered them out of Egypt. And in the same way, when Jesus died on that cross for your sins, you know, it wasn't because you got all, you got all the rules right. Because you somehow behaved and performed, and now you got God's attention. Mm-mm. But because he knew that you didn't get it right, that you would never be able to get it right. And so he says to you, I want you to be mine, and I want to be your personal God, your personal Savior. I want to do what I did with the nation of Israel all those years ago, over 3,500 years ago. I just need you to trust me. I just need you to trust me. I don't need you to walk under a door with the blood of goats or lambs or anything like that. I just need you to place your faith on what I did on the cross for you. See? That I died on that cross once and for all, for all your sins. And if you would do that, then you're in. Then you're in. It's not about the rules. It's not about the rules. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how, how well we behave. You know, It's all about trusting him. It's just trusting him. Trusting the God who established his relationship with us, who gives us these rules, not as a condition for acceptance with him, but really as a confirmation of his relationship and love with us. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's where it starts. And with that foundation, we're going to look at these Ten Commandments. And we're going to see, man, how precious they are. But why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Because I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you here think, I got to do my very best. If I ask you here, how many of you, if you died today, you'd know you would go to heaven I know a bunch of you would say, well, I just really kind of hope I get to heaven. And if that's you, where you kind of hope you wish that you've done enough to get to heaven, that, that you're believing something that really isn't the message that God wants to give you. And maybe today it's like, you know what, I got to let go of that. Because all that brings is guilt and all this stuff. There's not much joy there. Maybe it's time I'm gonna say I'm gonna if it's just about trusting you that you died on the cross for my sins once and for all, no more blood of animals and all that, but Jesus, your blood, your body broken for me, that was good enough. I'm gonna trust you then. I'm gonna trust you. And if that's you, you know, don't go another day just being guilted into something that you just can't do anyway. 
hoping and praying, man, when I die, I hope I get to heaven. Please, 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 God. And the coolest thing is heaven can start now. Heaven isn't just when we die. We experience God's kingdom now. So let's pray. That's what I want to ask you to do. Okay? We're going to just bow our heads. And I just want you to be really honest, okay? And, 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 and don't peek, okay? Because, you know, I'll peek a little. Okay? But if you've ever, if you kind of believe, if you've kind of been believing that, man, I hope I did enough to make it to heaven, would you just raise your hand if that was your belief? Man, I, I don't know if I'm going to go heaven. Yeah, see? Yeah. It's easy to believe that. It's easy to believe that. But we don't got to believe that anymore. Jesus died on the cross for our sins once and for all. All he's asking is, will you trust me? And if you want to trust him, yeah, and just settle that thing, let go of that, that wrong way of thinking, Hang on to the truth. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand now. Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah, see, it's easy. Say, God, I'm going to trust you. It's as easy as that. Just raise your hand. And then let's pray. Okay, just all of us, you just, in your heart, you just, just quietly repeat after me. All right? Father, thank you. Thank you that I don't have to perform or behave my way to heaven, to behave my way to be accepted by you, that you love me, that you sent Jesus to die for me, that you sent him to die for me. And all you're asking me is to trust, to trust and believe that Jesus died for me that I don't have to wonder, that I don't have to worry, that I can experience you now. I can experience your kingdom now. And that when I leave this earth, I'm going to see you face to face. I'm going to enjoy heaven. Not because I behaved or performed my way there, but because of what you did, Lord Jesus on the cross for dying for me. I will trust you, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. You know, come back next week, and let's see with different eyes, maybe different hearts, what those Ten Commandments are all about. All right, God bless. Have a good day.